and welcome into episode 94 of the Sports Gospel Show here. Darren and Andrew with you on the 94th edition of our show. Thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you all with us. About an hour here of solid sports talk. We don't take breaks. We don't have commercials. We don't have ads. We're just here to bring you the latest and greatest in sports news and give you our thoughts and opinions on what's going on. A lot of basketball. March is here. March Madness is almost upon us. So we're going to focus on the men's side of college basketball, talk about the women's side, talk about UFC 285. We kind of race through UFC here on the show a lot, but a huge card coming up this weekend with a returning, maybe the biggest star they have on the card for this weekend. And then maybe touch on NBA, depending on where we're at with time. Uh, We know the uh, NFL combine is going on, but that is just a hype show for ESPN to fill content. If anybody tells you the combine matters. Yeah, it's just people liking to watch the 40. What really matters is the interviews and the sit-down conversation. So probably not a whole lot of combine talk from us. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a fair assessment. I don't really get too in-depth with the combine. We're going to start here looking at college basketball. We're into the conference tournaments for some of the smaller conferences later on. I may see if we can get Andrew to give us some picks on who we see winning the Atlantic Sun and the American East and some of those. But as we're coming down the home stretch here, just kind of kind of open flowing conversation. What do we need to be thinking about as we approach selection Sunday? Let's just let's just be thinking about um, the bubble, really. I think that's kind of the most fun thing to watch at this time of year uh, is just kind of the bubble and how that shakes out. It's a very weak bubble this year. Uh, I mean, we've got a team like North Carolina who's on the bubble, but they have zero quad one wins. So those of you not familiar with the term quad one, that's based off the net rankings. um, I would just say really just pay attention and lock into those bubble teams because that's where the action is going to be at this year. And then once, once March madness starts here in a couple of weeks and we can probably dig into it more as March madness gets closer, but I really feel like this is more wide open than ever. Um, in terms of men's college basketball with who the national champion could be. I think there's maybe seven or eight teams that have a reasonable shot of winning it and not a lot outside of that, but I feel like that's pretty wide open and I don't feel like there's a clear cut favorite, which we've talked about a lot. Um, So, yeah. And some of those lower level tournaments are going to be, a lot of fun. Um, the Big 12 tournament, obviously, going to be a lot of fun. A lot of good teams that are going to go head to head in the Big 12 tournament. But um, yeah, that's really what I'm I'm keeping my eye on over the next couple of weeks or so. And I think my my opinion is changing with the wind on this. I do think it's wide open, but I think our pool may be a little bit smaller than I originally thought as we've gotten here down to the nitty gritty. I think I think I have about six teams that I could see winning it. Houston, who's the number one right now. Tennessee, UCLA, Purdue, Kansas, and then I know you don't necessarily agree with me, but I feel obligated to put Gonzaga in there. They've snuck into the top 10 here, at least uh, in the net, working their way up the AP poll. But I think those six are kind of your teams that I see having a shot at. I know people like UConn, St. Mary's is a fun story, Texas, Arizona, Baylor. I think those are teams are sweet 16, maybe elite eight, but I think you've got six teams left, and I will not be acknowledging the Alabama basketball team for the remainder of the season. Fair enough. Um, I would I would caution you on Tennessee as they did just lose their point guard to an ACL tear for the rest of the season. 
Uh, so significant injury there that I think completely alters Tennessee's chances. But one thing that I look at in determining who a potential national champion is the Ken Palm rankings, specifically adjusted offense and adjusted defense. Uh, every one of the champions, with the exception of 2014 UConn, since Ken Palm started back in 02, has been top 40 in offensive efficiency and top 22 in defensive efficiency. And so the teams that fit that are Houston, UCLA, Alabama, UConn, Purdue, Kansas, St. Mary's, and Texas just barely misses. Creighton fits this bill as well. Are you picking St. Mary's? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm not picking St. Mary's. Um, I I will not pick St. Mary's. From that bunch that I just mentioned, I'm out on UConn, Creighton, St. Mary's as as my national champion. So that leaves me with Houston, UCLA, Alabama, Purdue, Kansas, really, truly. And Texas is a team that you kind of have to think about. They're number 25, not top 22. So they're just on the outside. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and, and take Texas, though. Out of that crew, I really like I really like UCLA the best. I think that's my um, going to be my pick to take in, in terms of a national champion. So I've talked a lot about the Big Ten, the Big 12. I'm going to go ahead and roll with an experienced team with good guard play that fits the metrics that I've been talking about. And I really, I really feel like UCLA is kind of the team in my opinion. Uh, I've, I've been on the UCLA bandwagon here for a while, which I don't really have any great love for UCLA. I've never been a UCLA fan. I like Mick Cronin. I was doing some research and we'll get into this more when we actually have the brackets in front of us. He's not been great in the tournament, which scares me a little bit. It's kind of the same thing. Like Greg McDermott, has not been great in the tournament. Gets his team there a lot, but does not win a lot when he gets there. So UCLA scares me. I, I would love to see Mick Cronin get over the hump. I like him. It just has not had a lot of uh, tournament success. But I, I like the guys he has, Tiger Campbell and uh, uh, our favorite, Jaime Jaquez Jr. Is that our guy? Yeah. Um, and guys like Jalen Clark and, and David Singleton. I mean, a plethora of guards on uh, – the UCLA roster and the Dembona is really coming on. So uh, that's what gets you further in March is that guard play and UCLA has good guard play. So I'm going to roll with a team that has quality guards. When, when you look at March madness, when you look at matchups, roll with a team that has the quality guards more often than not. And then I really think there's a lot of mid-major sleepers out there. The oral Roberts, the marshals of the world, are potentially could make some noise in this tournament. Yeah, we'll talk about them here. I'm trying to think which order we want to do this. Let's let's talk about some of the big conferences coming down to the wire, talk about some of the players to watch out for, and then we will um, talk about the conference tournaments. So we've talked about a couple of them here, but to get us going, the ACC, just alphabetical. Miami is hanging in there. Jim Laranaga does this. I think we talked about about once every five years gets Miami to pop. Virginia's right back there. Tony Bennett's got his guys doing Virginia things. Pitt, yeah, maybe a long shot to make the tournament, but they're third right now. And then you've got Duke, Clemson, NC State, NC. Feels very much a, a bubble-heavy year for the ACC, a conference that you think is almost guaranteed seven or eight teams. 
I'm not sure that you're going to have a whole lot beyond those top four. Despite North Carolina struggles, I think Armando Baycott is probably still the best player in the conference if you're giving out Player of the Year awards for the ACC. It's what we expect from the what is typically the best basketball conference. Yeah, a, a big-time down year for the ACC. And that Pittsburgh team, actually, they've been a surprising team, and they're, they're solidly in. Um, latest that I've seen, yes, ESPN pumps Lenardi in your face, but um, I really like to go to bracketmatrix.com, which is a compilation. It's an average of about 148 different bracketologists. And that has Pittsburgh in as like a, a nine seed. So they're right on that eight, nine line in terms of the metrics. If you combine all the bracketologists together. So I'm, I'm a fan of that pit team. Their defense leaves a lot to be desired, but their offense and the turnaround by Jeff Capel and crew um, has been rather stunning. And you talked about UNC and Duke, they're playing, this weekend and that's actually a big game for UNC because a win by UNC would put them solidly in because they're riding right on that first four out last four in line right now and a big win like a win over Duke a team that's solidly in the NCAA tournament would put North Carolina in a loss there and then an immediate bow out in the ACC tournament that's going to leave North Carolina on the outside looking in not something we expected, did they? They entered the year as the number one team. You just kind of assume North Carolina is going to be in it every single year. They entered, I believe, they entered the season as the number one team and been very disappointing from the outset. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, internal struggle, rumors between Caleb Love and RJ Davis and girlfriends and things of that nature. It's been a real weird year for Carolina. Very soap opera y. Very much a soap opera in uh, Chapel Hill this season. Moving on down here to our next big conference. If you've listened to our show, you know, Andrew loves him some big East this year. I think there's about five teams here that are in, and then it really falls off. Marquette still leading the way. Don't forget, they have Shaka Smart, a guy who everybody seems to love. Xavier, Providence, Creighton, and then UConn. I think you're five that are in, and then the rest will be, unless they can find a uh, automatic bid from the conference tournament, but I don't see that happening outside the top five. And then I would say Bryce Hopkins would be my pick for the player of the year out of uh, out of the Big East. Just a, a great shooter for Providence. Don't know that Providence is the best team, but I think they have the best single player. Yeah, Bryce Hopkins has been pretty sensational. Uh, in terms of who the best player might actually be, I might give that to Tyler Kolick of, of Marquette. He's a big reason why Marquette won the outright regular season title. I think it's it's kind of a race between Tyler Kolick and Sole Boom from Xavier, who's been absolutely sensational for them. But I, I'd lean Tyler Kolick because he's been instrumental in a major turnaround. A team that was picked to finish eighth, I believe, in the conference, won the outright regular season title. And Tyler Kolick's a big reason why. He doesn't have jump-off-the-page numbers, but um, – yeah, I really, I really like what he brings to the table. And like you said, this is a five-bid league unless Villanova or Seton Hall or somebody like that makes a run. Someone below that makes a run through the conference title. But Lord willing, we'll get, a, we'll get like a Creighton-Marquette Big East title, which I think would be the most exciting. And 
Here it is. Time for the big one. Andrew's Big Ten. Purdue clearly feels like the best team in this conference, if not the country they have. I don't I don't know that it's even a race that Zach Eadie's not going to be the player of the year, the 7-4 center. I think he's far and away better than Oscar Shibwe was last year when he won it. So I think you have the player of the year, if not the player in the conference. Currently, currently leading in the standings, Michigan is somehow in second. I don't know what's going on with the Wolverines, but they were middling for most of the season. Looks like they're about to steal a bid from somebody. Indiana, Northwestern, Maryland, Iowa, Illinois, all feel like they're comfortably in. I would also include Michigan State and Rutgers in there. So you, if I'm looking at this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, a nine-bid year for the Big Ten? Yeah, possibly. Michigan is still currently on the outside looking in. The non-conference was brutal to Michigan. They're trying to make up ground, and they finished the year at Illinois right now, down at halftime as we speak. And also, they have to go to Indiana. Now, you, Zach Eady has been absolutely sensational, but I do really think there's a big conversation for Big Ten Player of the Year with Trace Jackson Davis. We can't, we'd definitely be remiss if we didn't mention Trace Jackson Davis and everything that he's done. He's had some sensational performances. And remember, Indiana swept Purdue. They're going to finish below Purdue in the regular season standings, but. TJD has been 20 and 11 for assists and just been a dominant force at times. It's a lot like uh, he's put up some, uh, some Luca Garza type stats in some games. So I really think that there is a conversation between TJD and Zach Eady, and it's, it's a lot closer than what you would think on the outside looking in Um, Michigan needs to win one or both of those games that they have remaining to make it in. Um, so right now I think this is an eight bid league and then Penn state and Wisconsin are right on the bubble as well. And those two teams need to win in the regular season and win in the conference tournament to make it. So there is a possibility that the big 10 could get nine or 10, but uh, just a lot that's going to shake out here. And my Hawkeyes are going to end up as the two seed if Michigan loses one of those last two games. So if Michigan loses and Iowa wins uh, against Nebraska at home, which uh, I guess it's not really a sure thing, but feel like they'll be pretty jacked up for it. But I was going to finish second in the conference after starting out own three. I was down. I was doubting. And apparently uh, they decided they were going to turn everything around. So you're telling people that when they fill out their brackets, if they see Indiana as like a five, don't be surprised to pick them all the way to a elite eight. Yeah, I do think Indiana has that kind of potential, especially with um, Hood Shafino really coming into his own. I scored 35 points at at Purdue. Hood Shafino is kind of putting it together at, at the right time. And another guy that's putting it together at the right time is Tony Perkins of Iowa. Almost had a triple-double against Indiana. 23, 10 rebounds and 8 assists against Indiana. And he scored 22 or more in three of his last five games, I believe. Um, so he's really been quite the spark for the Iowa Hawkeyes and how he plays is kind of going to determine how far Iowa can go in the NCAA tournament. Everybody talks about Chris Murray, but like I said, it's, it's guard play when you get to March and Tony Perkins is kind of the lead guard for Iowa and however he goes is however Iowa's going to go and big reason why they're second. So, and Maryland. Yeah. Um, I like Maryland and Northwestern, the turnaround at Northwestern, Chris Collins probably should be the national coach of the year because he's going to take, 
Yeah. Um, Northwestern making the NCAA tournament is a story because this will be the second time in their history that they made it. And Chris Collins has led both times. Um, they were not picked to finish anywhere near where they're going to finish. They could finish 12 and eight. Um, they might finish 11 and nine, but even still a 20 win ball club making their second NCAA tournament. And that's a team that I'm going to, that I'm going to pick to win maybe a couple games. I mean, we'll have to see what the matchups are like, but I like the guard play that Northwestern has. I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face, but guard play is, is going to be something. And then Michigan state is a team that I think has looked pretty good and might be kind of deceiving as well. So a lot of big 10 teams are, are getting it right at the right time. And it's because they have improved guard play from earlier in the season. Going on down here to the Big 12, and few things in life pain me more than admitting that Kansas is good at basketball, but they feel like they are running away with this conference that I I don't know that I'm buying in that it's the best all-around conference in basketball this year. Kansas sitting firmly on top. And then a nice little clump of teams here, K-State, Baylor, Texas, and TCU. I think those any of those four could make an Elite Eight or Final Four run here when we get to the tournament. And then Iowa State is doing their best to play themselves out of the tournament. They, they seem to be on a mission to not play anymore. And then you kind of get down to Oklahoma State and West Virginia. I think Iowa State, Okie State, and West Virginia are all flirting with that 8-11 to 11 seed come tournament time. I don't see it for Texas Tech, and then Oklahoma's under 500. I think, I think an 8-bid league when you're looking at the Big 12, just unfortunately Kansas, and then they probably have the player of the year with Jalen Wilson. feels like Kansas is unfortunately starting to pull away from the field in the big 12. Yeah. They've, they've locked up the outright conference tournament. Just looking at the standings here, they do have a big game against Texas, but it's not quite as big as it once was with Texas, not really having the regular season title to play for. But I think uh, big 12 is the best conference. I think you can go ahead and and say that um, Kansas national title contender, I, I really like Baylor, but the metrics don't fit for Baylor. The defense has been a little bit down, and they're they're also dealing with a Keontae George injury. So, and Texas sometimes they're just not. I watch them and they just play ISO ball, and I, I really can't get on board with it. But I'm with you. Jalen Wilson is uh, the player of the year. Grady Dick is the freshman of the year, and Kansas has two guys that can go and get you 30 points. At any given time, they've got solid point guard play from Dewan Harris. The tough thing with Kansas picking them to go far is it's really tough to go back to back. Like we've talked about before, it hasn't happened since 06, 07. I don't think it's going to happen again, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Kansas at the final four at Uh all. And um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Baylor there or Texas getting hot and getting there as well. TCU making a lead eight run, K State making a lead eight run, uh, all kinds of all kinds of these Big Twelve teams could uh, make an elite eight run. I know you're really down on your Cyclones, but even if they lose on Saturday and they immediately bow out in the Big Twelve, they're not, they're not going to miss the NCAA tournament. They have enough quad one wins to where they're not going to miss it. Now they could play their way down to a nine or a ten seed in that scenario if things fall incorrectly, but I, I don't think they're looking at like a play in game or even outright missing the NCAA tournament at all. Um at least in my eyes. So 
I think they're safe. They're safely in, but obviously you want to go in with some momentum and not uh, losing however many games they've lost in a row now. So and the, that's uh, my take in the, on the Big 12. The team that I like that I'm watching out for, if you want a team that may get hot, I like this K-State team. You have the uh, Johnson and Noel, two of the five best players in the Big 12. They don't have the one singular star like a Jalen Wilson, but watch out for those two. You mentioned the guard play, Noel for them, 17 points, seven assists, three rebounds. I think he he can be a guy... Kind of feels like Baylor was a couple of years ago when they made their run to the championship. So keep an eye on K-State. That's my sneaky little nugget. Uh, quick little thing. Going back to the Big Ten here, how in the world is Hunter Dickinson still in college? Uh, COVID year. <laughs> oh, gee, honestly, I feel like he has been – I feel like he played with Trey Burke. Um, look that up, but uh, I think he was the year <laughs> after Trey Burke. Jeez. Could be. All right. Uh, maybe a year or two after, actually, <laughs> but – um. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that have been call- in college for forever because of all these COVID years that are out there now. I so. read I read an article yesterday. Drew Timmy he did the whole senior night celebration, so I'm sure he's going to be done. But he technically has another year of eligibility if he wants it somehow. Yep, which is absurd. Absolutely correct. Yeah, he uh, he can come back if he wants to. Um, not not the biggest conference here, but I think it's a three plus bid league. Uh, just a quick note here, the Mountain West, San Diego State, Boise State, I think are both comfortably in, Utah State, Nevada. I think four teams from the Mountain West are getting into this thing. Yeah, let us let me take a quick look at the Mountain West. So San Diego State and Boise and Utah State and Nevada, yep, we're, we're definitely getting four in, a four-bid league in here. I don't, um, I don't know that I like any of them to go very far, but... Yeah, I could see um, San Diego State making a little bit of a run just because they're just a tough, gritty defensive team. I think that that can play well in a March Madness setting, just depending on the matchup. But if they get the wrong matchup, they they could be done because they don't have a they don't have a dominant scorer. They're not going to be able to score a lot of points if you can get them in a fast-paced game get up and down the court that's not what the Aztecs want to do is they want to grind things out and play in play in the 50s so if we got like a uh man if we got a San Diego State St. Mary's second round matchup somehow that would be probably one of the lowest scoring games in NCAA tournament history that thing might end in the 40s Todd Licklider would be so happy Uh, yeah he would love it I mean there's there's so (laughs) many people that would love it I mean San Diego State, Virginia, St. St. Mary's, those three teams, if those teams match up at all, uh, bet the under because it will be very defensive-oriented. So, yeah, I don't really see – and to go along with that, I believe that in the last few tournaments, last five tournaments, the Mountain West is over. I don't think they've won a single game. Yeah, that's why – I feel like I pick them every year. I'll, I'll fall in love with some random team from that conference and never goes well for me. Yeah. Um, don't fall in love with the Mountain West. That's what it was. New Mexico a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, yeah, New Mexico. Let's let's give them like an Elite Eight run. And they lost in the first round or something crazy. Sounds about right. And going down to the Pac-12, who may end up having fewer teams in than the Mountain West. 
as we've talked about several times in previous episodes, UCLA, Arizona comfortably, and those are top, you know, top 12 teams are going to be in the one, two, three line. Feels like USC has done enough to for sure clinch a bid. And then after that, I'm, I don't know that I feel all that positive for Arizona State, Oregon, or Utah, but uh, our, our guy Hawkes looks like he's going to be the player of the year if I had to put any money down. So this may end up being a, at best a three bid league. Yeah, I think I, some projection and bracket projections that I've seen do have Arizona State as like a last four in that win at Arizona, that, that amazing half corn shot by Desmond Cambridge to win the game. Which, by the way, just overall, this past Saturday in uh, men's basketball was just wild because we started at like 11 a.m. in the morning with Iowa coming back from 13 down in a minute and a half to force overtime on Michigan State and then win in overtime at home. One, One of the biggest comebacks in college basketball history. And then later that evening, we have a half court game beyond half court game winner on the road from Arizona state. And so I think they're kind of riding that line and Arizona state goes to UCLA tonight. If they were somehow able to pull that game out, then I think Arizona state would put themselves solidly in. I do think USC is in as well. Um, Solidly probably looking at like a 10 seed. So three teams for sure maybe a fourth depending on what Arizona state does. And finishing up here with, with the big ones, we'll circle back through some of the smaller conferences. We've got the sec, which as you mentioned with Tennessee taking a tumble, that's, that could be a big change. Alabama, the controversy, uh, we don't need to get into that here. There's plenty of other coverage of it. Alabama is the number one team right now. Texas A&M quietly at two. I feel like nobody's talking about Texas A&M. Tennessee may be following Kentucky's floating around. They're going to get in, but doesn't feel like they have a lot of buzz. Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State, and then Arkansas is kind of flirting their way back into being a, a I don't know if I say contender, but a, maybe a Sweet 16 team. So it looks like one, two, three, four, five. I could see eight bids coming out of here. I don't really like the, I, I can't see Florida getting in at this point, but the six to eight teams out of the SEC. Yeah, I think I think we're looking at eight. Um, and it's those eight that you mentioned. And yeah, quite frankly, Arkansas is going to be much like uh, North Carolina was last year when they were an eight seed and made a run. They're going to be like an eight or a nine seed that a, a one seed isn't going to want to see. Um, th- so they're definitely going to be a team that I'm going to be looking at heavily. Again, it's going to depend on the matchup. They're obviously not going to get matched up with Alabama. I don't believe they're going to get paired across from like an Alabama and Arkansas can also play their way up. I mean, I'm just telling you where they're sitting right now. I wouldn't be shocked if they played their way up to something higher than the eight, nine line at all. But I really think Arkansas and Kentucky are kind of surging at the right time. And Kentucky's kind of getting more towards that form that people really expected at the beginning of the season, they're, they're like six seed and moving on up. So I, I might start thinking about riding that Kentucky bandwagon a little bit because they seem to be putting it together. And obviously, you know, with the coaching that they have coach Calipari, that, that you want to put a little bit of faith into coach Calipari. Um, 
in March Madness. But so I, I really like out of the all the teams that are going to make it in. I really like Kentucky and Arkansas's chances the best. I know that might seem counterintuitive with as high as Alabama is, but yeah, you talk, you talked about teams getting hot at the right time. That's another thing that goes into March Madness. It's about getting hot at the right time and going in with momentum, and both those teams have it. And I, I do think Oscar Shibway would be the SEC player of the year if I had a vote. Yeah, I think I think I could get on board with that. Um, some people would tell you Brandon Miller. I don't want to get too controversial, but he has played well and would be in that conversation. And I think uh, Ziegler from Tennessee should be in the conversation as well. So there's definitely uh, – a conversation to be had there, but my vote would probably go Shibwe. And let's talk about some of those other star players here from the smaller conferences that we haven't touched on yet. Um, and again, some of these guys are still just getting started in their conference. They're going to be in one bid leagues, but if you do see their name and their team come across, maybe somebody to worth penciling in. If you get them in one of those weird five twelve matchups or a, a four thirteen. Uh, Antoine Davis is going to be the big one is on the cusp of setting the NCAA scoring record playing for Detroit Mercy. We got Jordan Dingle at Penn, one of the best scorers in the league, uh, in the country. Sorry. Uh, Tucker DeVries, who I don't know if Andrew ever goes to see in person, but the forward for the Drake Bulldogs who have a shot to win Arch Madness. Uh, who are some of the other guys that we have here? That's a scary, that's a, Drake is a, I have not been to see them in person probably as much as I should. Um, but yeah, Tucker DeVries, that Drake team, uh, if they end up winning the Mo Valley and end up getting in, even though I truly believe that Drake and Bradley should be in regardless, I know it's not going to happen that way. I do feel like the Valley should be a two bid league this year with Drake and Bradley getting a nod, but, um, yeah, uh, Tucker DeVries is incredible. Another team that. I really have an eye on from the Sun Belt is the Marshall Thundering Herd. They have uh, Tavion Kinsey and Andrew Taylor, two guys who score north of 20 points per game. Uh, they they're both 25 and five, 25 and five, five rebounds and five assists on the side guys. Um, and they just play a fun and exciting offensive style. So if they get the if they get hot on maybe a couple of nights, that's that sounds like a 12 or a 13 seed that could make a real run. Um, yeah. yeah. And two other guys to keep an eye on, and I don't know if the Summit could be a two-bid league. I need to check if they're in their conference tournament. But you've got Max Abmus from Oral Roberts, who had a good little run last year and has been a, maybe the best player they've ever had for the Golden Eagles. And then Zeke Mayo from South Dakota State, two tremendous shooters, averaging 20-plus per game for each of those guys. Say South Dakota State wins the tournament, I don't know that Oral Roberts would be looked at as a as a bid stealer or not. So, But two guys, if you see their names come across there, that uh, worth watching if you find them on your first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it'd be a real shame if Oral Roberts somehow didn't make it. Uh, you mentioned Max Asmus. Uh, from Oral Roberts and everything that he does. But don't forget, they have Connor Vanover, a seven-footer that did play at Arkansas for a while and transferred over. And not a lot of mid-major teams have a guy that size that that has talent as well. And they also have a couple of other guys who were on 
the team that made that Sweet 16 run. I don't think it was last year. I think that might have been two years ago or maybe even three years ago. But um, they have a lot of guys from that team still on the roster that made that surprise Sweet 16 run. And Vanover kind of patrolling the middle. And he can step out to range as well. So that's a that's a team that's going to end up when they win their conference tournament. Hopefully, um, we got we got some scary twelve seeds coming up this year. I this, really I really feel like um, you got to keep an eye on Iona too. Rick Pitino's got a good team at Iona. That that's another one. If they win their conference tournament, they're probably going to be a twelve seed. So you don't really want to. You don't really want to be a five seed this year. This is not the year to be a five seed because there's going to be three 12 seeds that I'm going to look at and I'm going to like as upsets. I feel like that every year maybe, but this year I think it's especially true. Um, there's there's a lot of mid-major, low-major talent. And some of what goes into that is I'm not really sold on a lot of these power five teams as well. I don't feel like um, they're as good as they have been in the past. And there, there may be something to that. We don't need to get into it tonight. And maybe we can find some data on this, but I'm wondering in this era of transfer portal and frequent player movement, a big school with a lot of talent that doesn't have cohesion versus a small school with guys who have played together for three or four years. Are we narrowing the gap on your four thirteens, your five twelves, those kind of games? Yes. Kentucky has more talent, but those guys haven't played together as long as Vermont just throwing two teams out there for an example. Yeah. Totally. I think there's some truth to that. All right. Well, let's look at some of the conference tournaments here. And I pulled Vermont out because it's the one I'm looking at. The American East tournament starts this weekend. Vermont is your one. UMass Lowell is the two. New Hampshire three. And UMBC is the four. You got a, got a bold American East winner for us? Uh, no, uh, not in a lot of these small conferences. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get too bold. Um, so, so give me Vermont here in this one. Go Catamounts. Yep. Uh, the next one we have, we're already down to our final four in the conference. You have Kennesaw State, the one seed in the Atlantic Sun Conference. Liberty, the team who would be my pick. Uh, who's the guy for Liberty? Darius McGee scoring 22 and a half, the third leading scorer in the country. They will take on Eastern Kentucky. They actually are as we speak. Um They actually are taking them on as we speak right now in a tightly contested one. Um, yeah, I really, I really like Darius McGee and the Liberty flames and everything that they bring. So big sky tournament. We've got Eastern Washington is our one Montana state is the two, the Damian Lillard's from Weber state at three and Montana at four. Yep. Give me the one seed. <laughs> Uh, we got the Big South, UNC Asheville at the one, Longwood two, Radford three, and USC Upstate is the four. I'm going to be a little bit country in here, and I'm going to go ahead and take the Longwood Lancers. Have they ever made it? I feel like one of those teams I've never heard of in a bracket. Yeah, Longwood actually made it last year. They actually won their conference tournament mm-hmm. last year. That's, I like some of these schools. Like, I, Has Presbyterian ever made the tournament? I have no idea. That's why I like from these small ones. They become 16s and get bounced right away. I just like when we get some new blood in there from these little conferences once in a while. Yeah, uh, that is fun. I believe Presbyterian has made it, though. (laughs) 
and the Colonial. This one, yes, it's a small conference. It's going to be one bid, but maybe a little bit more intriguing if I had to pick a small conference. So you have Hofstra as the four, College of Charleston as the two, Towson the three, and UNC Wilmington as the four. Wilmington makes it every couple of years, but College of Charleston was in the top 25 at points this year, but they are the two seed in their own conference. Yeah, Hofstra beat them uh, head-to-head a couple times, and that's why they're the two seed. But give me the College of Charleston to get their redemption and to make the NCAA tournament. That is a that is a good team. Um, that will be a team that's underseeded as well. So give me the College of Charleston. Out in the Horizon League, Youngstown State is the one, Milwaukee two, Cleveland State three, Northern Kentucky the four. And as we mentioned, Detroit Mercy, they did win their pigtail game to get in as the eight seed. So eight seed Detroit Mercy with potentially the highest scoring player in college basketball history. They do draw the number one seed, though. Again, all these games happening as we're recording on this Thursday evening. Yeah, go ahead and give me the Youngstown State Cougars. Uh, I see Detroit Mercy is on top currently in the first half, but give me a Youngstown State to pull this one out eventually. Uh, moving down, what's the next one we have here? Ooh, Arch Madness. We mentioned Missouri Valley. Bradley is the one. Drake is the two. Southern Illinois three and Belmont at the four. I forget Belmont's in the Missouri Valley now. That always throws me off. And Murray State. Yeah, yeah it's it's great. Um, having Belmont in, I feel like it's uh, taken up the level of the – and Murray State as well has taken up the level of the MVC. There's been a, a lot of competitive uh, games. And you know those two teams are going to – they were – perennial uh, powerhouses in their conferences that they came from. So, you know, they're going to elevate the level of the Missouri Valley both this year and, and going forward, but I can't not take the uh, Drake Bulldogs. I got to stick to the hometown team here uh, since I live in Des Moines. And I, I do believe that Drake has the goods to win it. They're the most well-rounded team. I know they finished second, but I feel like Drake is the best team in this conference and they're going to go ahead and win Arch Madness this year. Out in the Northeast, we're down to four. We've got Merrimack as the one, Fairleigh Dickinson as the two, St. Francis three, and Sacred Heart as the four. In a random basketball pick contest I did earlier this year, I picked Merrimack, so give me them to just carry this one through. Merrimack has made me some money financially, so I'll go ahead and take Merrimack as well. We're all on that bandwagon. Uh, the, the Ohio Valley, I believe the former home of Belmont and Murray State, Moorhead State is the one, Tennessee Tech is the two, Tennessee Martin the three, and Tennessee State the four. That is a lot of Tennessee teams in one sentence. Yeah, give me one of the Tennessee teams to win it. Can I just, <laughs> yeah, can just, I just throw that into DraftKings? Tennessee team to win the Ohio Valley. <laughs> the Ohio- um, give me Tennessee weird, Tech. They have a weird bracket like the West Coast Conference where it's the lower seed you are, you have to win umpteen games just to get there, where if you're a higher seed, you just like win one game. So, yeah, let's let's go Tennessee Tech. I like it. Tennessee uh, Tech, yeah. The Patriot League, Colgate the one, Navy the two, Lehigh the three, and Army the four. Colgate. I like toothpaste. Let's go. <laughs> I feel like they win this conference every year. I could be wrong on that, but I feel like Colgate's a, a regular team in the tournament. They- They've really uh, become quite a powerhouse in that conference the last few years. I, I think you're right. I don't know about every year, but I feel like they're, they've are they been the top team for the past four or five years. 
the SOCON Southern Conference, Furman the one, Samford the two, UNC Greensboro the three, and Western Carolina the four. This is also the conference that is home to Wofford, who is another team that I feel like makes it. So I'm going to go a little off the board and go crazy and pick Wofford. Nah, give me the Furman Paladins. <laughs> I like I like that nickname. I like the Paladins as a nickname. I, I'm going to give you credit just for being able to know that. Uh, the Southland Conference, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi is the one. Northwestern State is the two. Southeastern Louisiana, the three. And Nickel State, the four. Uh, Iowa State fans will remember Northwestern State for about 20 years of pain, but let me no was that you guys no that was iowa fans oh, oh. you guys you we had guys hampton. remember you guys remember hampton and uab for your pain yep you guys had i northwestern remember state. northwestern state and richmond for mine um but yeah uh so for that reason i can't pick northwestern <laughs> state give me nickel state Ooh, i like it yeah the four seed yep the four seed that's the thing with these low conference and mid-major conference tournaments. There's going to be some four and five seeds from these tournaments who, who get hot and, you know, beat out the one. It's not, you know, it doesn't go straight chalk in these conference tournaments. And it keeps some good teams out. But that, that that's a championship week. That's what it's all about. And finishing up here, we have three conferences the Summit, who we talked about a little bit before, Oral Roberts, the one, South Dakota State, the two, North Dakota State, the three, and Western Illinois, the four. It's it's a t- it's tough for me between Oral Roberts and South Dakota State. I'll take ORU, though. Yeah, I'm not going to pick against a team that went undefeated in conference play. I'm going to pick that team who was 27-4 and four to win their conference tournament. So, Oral Roberts for me. The Sun Belt, Southern Miss the one, Louisiana two, Marshall the three, and James Madison the four. I'm going to take the Marshall Thundering Herd. I like, I mentioned these two guys and I like them and watched them a couple times. They're extremely fun watch. So if you see Marshall on your TV uh, this weekend, go ahead and, and turn them on because they are a fun team to watch. So Marshall Thundering Herd. And our final conference with the ones that have gotten underway, plenty of the big conferences and some of these other small ones have not announced their brackets yet, but finishing the ones who have their brackets out, St. Mary's is the one, Gonzaga the two. I don't know the last time Gonzaga wasn't the one in the Western Conference Tournament. Santa Clara the three and Loyola Marymount the four. Yeah, give me give me St. Mary's. Going to go out yeah. on a limb. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take St. Mary's. Hey. I, I got to stick with the Zags and can't jump ship at this point. I respect that, but I'm, I'm all over St. Mary's. I think that's the best team in that conference. Anything else on the men's side we need to discuss before we jump over to the women's college season? Now, let, let's, let's talk women's. Now there's been a bit of a rivalry. I don't know if the players are involved, but from the fan side, We've had a bit of a rivalry in the last couple of years in women's basketball. Aaliyah Boston versus Caitlin Clark. As you may have determined by now, Andrew is a diehard Hawkeye fan, so he is uh, he's taken a side on this. I cheer on Aaliyah Boston because it's not the Hawkeyes. But it seems to be a two-horse race again for the player of the year on the women's side. How? Ex- explain to me how. Explain to me how Aaliyah Boston is anywhere close because... Uh, the only thing I can think of is she gets her name pumped by ESPN a lot because of their SEC bias that they have on that network. Um, when you look at the numbers, 
Caitlin Clark is just the most impressive player, not just in women's college basketball, but maybe in college basketball altogether. Um, might, might even be college basketball's biggest star, if we're being quite honest. Um, so I think Caitlin Clark should have won it in the landslide last year. Don't know why she didn't. I think it, this thing has been tucked away for the past two months. And, you know, if you didn't believe before last Sunday when she hit that game winner against number two, Indiana, then you're, you're never going to believe if she doesn't win it this year, there's something truly wrong uh, with the system. And, you know, you're, you're biased. You're, you're completely biased and should have your voting privileges taken away. So she's not unanimous and boy on the women's side this year. There's something deeply wrong. So based on points, Caitlin Clark, 27.2 as, as of today. So she's second in the league in scoring behind a woman from Villanova that I'm uh, not as familiar with. Trying to go down here and find Aaliyah Boston. Maddie Zegrist. Yes. Yeah, you're going to have to go down a ways to find Aaliyah because I believe she's like 11 points per game. Uh, let's just remember that Ashley Jones is 14th in scoring. What ha- what's going on with Paige Beckers? She's still injured. Yep. So you did. And this is a quick side note. You talked about Caitlin Clark being the biggest star. I think we saw this. It kind of started to turn. Brianna Stewart was kind of Brittany Griner, I would say. Maya Moore, Brianna Stewart has kind of grown over time. I think for a couple of years, Sabrina Ionescu was the biggest star in college basketball. And then kind of Caitlin Clark has taken that mantle because the, the women's players stick around. You get to see three or four years of basketball. It's, oh, Zion Williamson's here for a year and then he's gone. Nobody knew who Obi Toppin was or Oscar Shibway was till they had their breakout year. Luca Garza built a little bit over time. But you get to see the best women's players for multiple years. You get familiar with Sabrina, Aaliyah Boston, Caitlin Clark. So it's probably fair to say the, the biggest names in college basketball this year are probably Zach Eady and Caitlin Clark. 100%. Um, yeah, Caitlin Clark is 27 points, seven rebounds, eight assists per game, uh, 37% from three, 47 from the field, 83% from free throw. So, you know, 50, 40, 85 type range, which is just some ridiculous numbers to be quite honest. That's it's pretty good. And she does it on a high volume too. Obviously, if you're scoring 27 points per game, you're putting up a high volume of shots, and she makes tough shots too. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really see the argument. I don't, I don't think there is much of one, and other than ESPN pushes an, an SEC agenda out there for for girls like Aaliyah Boston, and Aaliyah Boston's a good player. I'm not, I'm not trying to drag Aaliyah Boston through the mud at, at all. She's a great player, obviously, but uh, just not anywhere on the same level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's gotta be Caitlin Clark for national player of the year. And, um, yeah. And I gotta, I I also gotta tell you, I mean, I was in, uh, Carver Hawkeye for that shot. Like I told you before this podcast and it, that was truly just a great environment for college basketball. Probably one of the loudest college basketball or basketball environments that, I've ever been in. There were times when I couldn't hear the PA announcer saying things because the crowd was so loud. It was just a great environment for basketball. Um, truly was. So I don't, I don't think that's been typical of the women's game, uh, but it was very fun to see the women's game get put on display. 
um, like that on on a Sunday and have college game day in town. And yeah, I think that's really cool and wish that would happen more. I'm looking at your SEC bias talk got me thinking about something. ESPN has a list of the who should be the player of the year in every conference. And looking at stats, and I will admit, I did not know much about this person, but Angel Reese for LSU is fifth in the country in scoring at 23.7 points. She also has 16 rebounds per game as a block and a half, uh, 2.3 assists, two steals, but really a, a 6-3 forward doing a lot of her work inside the paint, but they don't even have her listed as the SEC player of the year. It's just, you know, like you say, SEC has an agenda, but Angel Reese having an amazing season. Another player, like we talk about, Ashley Jones, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, these players who are having amazing seasons and yeah. need, more, need to give more attention to and recognition to. Yeah, and um, I, I really think, like, next year we need to have a game like the Iowa-Indiana one, you know, two top five teams going at it. We need to have that in the Saturday night primetime. Uh, it was a very cool atmosphere on a Sunday afternoon at one o'clock and the place was packed to the brim. I mean, 15,000 plus fans. It was incredible. Um, but w- why not like a Saturday night primetime on like Fox? We've had Purdue and Indiana on Fox. Let's get, let's get Iowa, Indiana on Fox next year. If, if they're good teams or Iowa, Maryland or whoever, you know, um, on Fox or ABC or CBS or whoever in primetime, because that's, that's a, it's good action and it, and it deserves that just a good basketball, just good basketball, really. All right. I am now outraged at ESPN. They do not list Ashley Jones as who should be the big 12 player of the year. They have her as the runner up. Yeah. See, um, we got to stop trusting ESPN for everything, folks. If you, if you have learned anything from uh, maybe listening to me or others is ESPN is not the expert anymore when it comes to sports in my mind. So. Well, despite your, uh, oh, despite your derision, I, I already have their bracketology pulled up. So looking at some of the teams here, an interesting year. Oregon on the outside looking in, which is not something you really ever think about. It feels like Oregon is just kind of an automatic to be in every year. Uh, and this is a quick side note. I do enjoy this about the women's tournament is that they have the top seed in each. So you, the, the one, the one, two, three, and four seed in each region will get to host. So you would have your Iowa Hawkeyes hosting in Iowa city. So your one yep. seeds right now, South Carolina, Indiana, Utah, and Stanford. I don't know that I ever think of Utah for women's basketball. I absolutely do not. Um, I am hoping that Iowa can make their run through the Big Ten tournament again this year and play their way to, for sure, two seed in that scenario, but maybe a one seed in that scenario. I don't know. But, yeah, they'll be hosting, and I'm going to make every effort to be at one or both of those games. And then uh, the two seeds, we talked about Iowa. Iowa... LSU, Maryland, not too shocking any of those, but then Virginia Tech, another school like Utah. I don't think of them as a great women's program. Yeah, yeah absolutely not. Duke, Ohio, Duke, Ohio State as threes, and then Notre Dame, another constant, and then UConn, which most teams would be elated to have a three, but when was the last time UConn was not a one or two? That'd be interesting to look up because I 
I feel like it's been never. <laughs> so I'm trying to look at some of the surprising seeds. Uh, Baylor down at the eight. Now, again, this is just ESPN's bracketology, but it kind of gives you an idea. Kansas down at the 10. Who's the, um, is it Creighton that Iowa is hungry for blood to get revenge on? 100%. Oh, because the, depending on how this shakes out, Creighton is a seven right now. So if you had Creighton on that seven ten line and Iowa is a two line, depending on how the regions shake out. Give us that rematch. We might, we might beat them by 30. But, but this ESPN regional or this ESPN bracketology does have South Carolina and Iowa in the same regional. So they would meet in the elite eight. Would you rather have an early matchup or would you rather go one-on-one in the title game for that kind of showdown? No, I want Iowa in the final four. That's why I want the one seed so bad. But would you rather face South Carolina before the championship? No, championship. Iowa, South Carolina. That way everybody can watch Caitlin Clark just tear Leah Boston apart. <laughs> but, yeah, the women's side, you know, I think it's I think it's wide open. Uh, yes, South Carolina has become a, a traditional team here. We have Mississippi State, a team that's had some good years down at the nine. UConn's down, Baylor's down. So very wide open field. We talked about it with the men's side as well. Feels feels like anybody could have it this year. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely anybody could have it um, this year. I mean, I, I think um, t- we talked about UConn, but I saw them play against Iowa. I I really believe in UConn. I think UConn, whatever seed they're going to get, I'm going to take them to the Final Four. They're just a good bet to go to the Final Four. I really believe in them. Did Stanford win it last year? Why do I feel like Stanford was the champion? I thought South Carolina won it all last year. Did they? We may need to go back and look, but I I thought South Carolina won it all. I'm trying to pull it up, but Wikipedia is not helping me. So was Stanford and South Carolina met in the final? Uh, can you name your final four? I, I we basically talked and gave away two. Can you name the others? Uh, UConn. Yes. Yeah, and then um, I believe Notre Dame, Louisville. That's it. Yeah, they were really good last year. Because oh yeah, this is Creighton beat Iowa and Iowa State in back to back games, and then they got trounced by South Carolina. But was uh, don't remind <laughs> me. Hey, hey, we're 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 in the same painful situation here. But South Carolina handled UConn in the championship game. I don't know why I thought Stanford won. They must have won it a year or two previous. I don't know. Yeah, we were we were really headed for an Iowa Iowa State Sweet Sixteen. And Creighton ruins everything. I think right. I just have to hate Creighton University for the rest of my <laughs> life now. That's fair. Yep. All right. Anything else, men's or women's college basketball, we need to get to? Uh, no, that's that's it. Caitlin Clark, the greatest of all time. Just want to throw it out there. Ooh, you're. I've, I've got some Oregon Duck fans that may disagree with you. Yeah. Well, they're free. They're free to disagree, <laughs> but they're free to be wrong too. It's Ooh. okay. All right. So our next thing we wanted to get to this week, while we still have time, the huge UFC 285 card. Also, in a minute, we'll talk about what the UFC has coming up in March. I don't, I don't remember March being prime UFC time, but they loaded up the weekends in March. John Jones, his return after his latest hiatus, but the big move up to heavyweight. Fought most of his career at 205. 
I'm not sure uh, what he'll weigh in at. I feel like he's probably closer to 250 right now, which two of his brothers were NFL defensive ends. So putting on that size on his very tall, lean frame, probably not a big challenge for him. I think he's going to look like a beast. Taking on Cyril Gahn, the Frenchman, the number one ranked heavyweight, was the interim heavyweight champion for a while. So as we uh, quick history lesson, Francis Ngannou was the champion, was out for about a year, had contractual issues with UFC. They were not able to come to terms. So stripped him of his belt. He stepped away from the UFC for the time being. So John Jones, the minus 165 favorite versus Cyril Gahn for the heavyweight title. Uh, you have a couple other fights, but let's just start there. Jones versus Gahn, who you got? Hey, uh, because of the Iowa connections with John Jones, I got to go go ahead and take John Jones. I feel like he's one of the greatest of all time. You know it, and... I think he's going to go ahead and take that title belt. So give me John Jones in the, in the main fight of the night. But like you talked about, there's some other, other fights going on that night that you can, I'll let you uh, preview, but I think it's one of the best cards that I've seen certainly this year, but um, one of the best cards that I've seen in recent UFC history and April's loaded too. And I much prefer Cyril gone as a, human being and as a fighter just every, everything about him i'd rather pick him but if you're making me put money down on a fight at this point in his career i cannot bet against john jones gone right. is a is a powerhouse he's got huge hands one punch power but jones's greatest strength has been adapting he's able to you know if if you're a muay thai guy he can adapt if you're a wrestler he can adapt if you're a puncher he can adapt he's that that reach add that power and that size he didn't just get fat he got thick he got muscular he got strong he took his time doing this the right way you add his fight iq to his length and add weight to that i just i just can't pick against jones as much as i really really don't ever want to cheer for him if if i'm just unbiasedly picking a fight i've got to go with john bones jones to become the heavyweight champion uh working down the card here the next one valentina shevchenko after Amanda Nunez lost i think this got a little bit closer and who's the greatest woman's fighter of all time it is shevchenko or nunez but Valshina Shevchenko here defending her flyweight title against Alexa Grasso. Shevchenko was a minus 730 favorite. Um, not going to win a lot of money on that, but I think that is the smart pick is to just stick with Shevchenko until she, until she faces Nunez or maybe somebody like a Rose Nama Yunez. Uh, give me Valentina Shevchenko every time. Yep, yep. I'm not going to contradict you on Shevchenko. I'm going to go ahead and take her too. Now, if you feel like some... Grasso is plus 530. So if you're feeling feeling bold, want to make some money. You got 10 bucks to put down or a thousand. I think I'd rather put that money down on Shevchenko ending the fight early. Ah. Uh, in round one or something like that, rather than bet on Grasso over Shevchenko. So maybe like a first round submission or something like that. And uh, a couple more fights, not super familiar with the guys in a few of these, but there's one that really catches my eye, and that is Bone Nickel versus Jamie Pickett. If you are not familiar with the name, Bone Nickel might be the best collegiate wrestler since Kale Sanderson, uh, right up there with guys like Logan Stieber, three-time national champion from Penn State in the 2010s. The guy's just starting out, I believe, only 3-0. and He's a middleweight fighter for the UFC right now. A little surprising to see him on the main card, but I think UFC is really going to get the hype train behind him. And if he can 
run through Jamie Pickett here and keep moving up. Watch for Bo Nickel as the name of the future. I They don't have uh, odds on him on the UFC website, but on another site, I saw him as like a minus 1,000 favorite. So you can really tell that the UFC wants to get behind him. So give me Nickel to win his middleweight. Uh, that'll be the opener on the main event card. Hey, before we go anywhere, Bo Nickel, great wrestler. The best re- wrestler since Kale Sanderson is Spencer Lee, without a doubt. And there may even be a conversation that Spencer Lee is the best. Um, I, I just got to throw it out there. So, so yeah, Bo Nickel, great wrestler. Gable Stevenson, great wrestler as well. But uh, Spencer Lee is the best since Kale Sanderson. I think we can we can all agree on that, hopefully. Penn but, State uh, are going to like that. What? Those Penn State fans aren't going to like that. They have plenty of guys. They, uh, you know, Ed Ruth and Zane Rutherford and Bo Nickel would like to have a word with you. Yeah, they they were great. Um, Spencer Lee is just simply better. Um, whatever. Uh, but Bo, for this fight specifically, Bo Nickel, yeah, minus 1,600. Like you said, UFC wants to get behind this guy. No reason not to take this guy. A bit, a bit like I talked about with the Shevchenko fight. Maybe lay money down if you want to do that kind of thing on Bo Nickel winning early rather than uh, – you know, betting the other fighter or, or just taking the money line. Not a lot of money in the money line on that one. Got to pick something like the fight ending earlier or something like that to make money. Yeah. And Bo Nickel, obviously, is a three-time NCAA wrestler. That thing gets to the ground. There may be submission. So if there's some some better odds on a submission, pick your round. That, yeah, he's a world-class grappler. So that thing, if, if they don't stay on their feet, Nickel probably going to get the finish. Yeah, 100%. I think that's how it's going to happen is a second-round submission, Bo Nickel. And they loaded up a couple fights here in the prelims, some bigger names than you usually see. Cody Garbrandt in the bantamweight bout, taking on Trevin Jones, a guy that I'm not as familiar with, but Garbrandt was in the title picture, now in the prelims kind of working his way back up. Minus 175, so not not a huge favorite, but I think I stick with him in this battle of guys to see who can have the best chest tattoos nice yeah this these two uh, undercard fights that they have right before the pay-per-view kicks off with uh garbrandt and then brunson duplessis it that's gonna be some good stuff i mean i'm gonna be at buffalo wild wings early on saturday night i'm gonna be there like seven o'clock from seven to midnight i feel like those places are gonna jack up their prices but uh, you mentioned the other one the other big those two big prelim fights, the middleweight bout. Derek Brunson is the number five, and Drikas Duplessis, uh, despite being the 10th ranked guy, he is a minus 225 favorite. That feels like really juicy odds. I would pick Duplessis to win. I He's one of those guys, you ever have like a song stuck in your head, or you like you randomly think about a celebrity for no reason? I have that with sports where I'll randomly think about somebody, and he was one of those guys the other day, just the name popped in my head. I don't know if it's just because it's fun to say, but I'm I'm going on him... Minus two twenty five favorite, but man, that's 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 juicy to get Brunson at plus one ninety. This, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Is I'm gonna go ahead and take uh, Brunson in this fight. I I can't pick against the American guy in this fight, so give me Brunson. Yeah, I I I'll probably put money down just for the odds, but if I had to seriously pick, I'm an, I'm going with the uh, South African gentleman. That's fair. But yeah, like you said, to for the odds for the money, um, Brunson there. So 
if you want to if you want to parlay some things, Brunson, Garbrandt, Jones, and then a second round submission for Nickel, second round submission for Shevchenko. That might that would win you some money if all thing all of those things hit. Yeah, I I like it. That's what you got to do with this. Make make it a little bit more fun with rather than just straight up fights. I mean, you got seven. You got seven really good matches, and there's probably some matches below those top seven that we've talked about that are going to be high quality matches as well. I just don't know as much about those fighters, but you've got seven really good matchups back to back to back to back on Saturday night. So heck of a heck of a day for sports when UFC has has it rocking. Yeah, a fantastic card, like you mentioned. What I think one of the best they've had in a while, and that the Jones return is going to be huge. I think they're going to get big numbers for that. People want to see what shape he's in, and you, do, you, do you love him or hate him? He's he's going to get attention. Uh, and like we talked about, the UFC through March and April, just for the month of March, there's a next Saturday night. There's a UFC fight night, not even a pay per view, just a regular ESPN Plus fight night card with Piotr Jan versus Mirab Dashvili headlining it, and. It wasn't long ago, Jan was the world champion at bantamweight and the never-ending saga with Aljamain Serling. I would pick him in this one. He's a fantastic fighter. I didn't know much about him, and then I started watching him, and he's a looks like a monster. Alexander Volkov fighting on that card in the undercard. Uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov on there. Rafael Sunsau still running around doing his thing. But that that uh, Piotr Jan in the headline is the big one there. And then UFC 286 in two weeks, the return fight, Usman versus Edwards three Usman, who we had talked about probably the best fighter in the world pound for pound. And then Leon Edwards stunned him with one of the most shocking knockouts, head kicks you will ever see. I think Usman will reclaim his welterweight title, but another fantastic fight. Justin Gaethje on that card, Joanne Wood on that card, Gunnar Nelson, Brian Barbarena, Marvin Vittori, fantastic batch of cards here. And then we get back to, I think it's April. We have the uh, Adesanya Israel Adesanya back in the cage. So UFC doing everything they can here in the middle of March Madness to get some attention. Yeah, we're yeah Usman Edwards three man that that is going to be something. And then like you mentioned, Adesanya back in the cage too. So that's a uh, yep. UFC has got my attention in March and April, even with March Madness going on. I'll try and pay some attention to the UFC. Basically, every Saturday that there's basketball coming up for the next month, there's also an amazing UFC card. You have Brandon Vera and Corey Sandhagen. Um, Max Holloway is going to pop up again in April. Well, just a fantastic batch of UFC. If you're if you're not a UFC fan, now is the time to get in. You're going to see the best fights and the best fighters on the best cards here for the next month. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a good point. Good call out. Anything else we need to talk about on this week's edition? Pray for my parlays this weekend. On all all kinds of crazy basketball, college basketball picks. On all kinds of crazy college basketball picks. I mean, I've got one going right now that is still successful. Houston is trying to come through for me here. So, but yeah, um, no, don't gamble, kids. If you're listening to this podcast, don't gamble. It's, it's a bad habit. I'm a degenerate. I'm a college basketball degenerate. I probably will watch the A-Sun tournament because I've got money on it. So. That's uh that's how things are going. So well, there's well there's so much to get to here throughout March. We'll keep you updated on the college basketball, the conference tournaments, the big tournament, the big dance. 
We've got NFL draft free agency to get to. We've got NBA playoff push, the NHL trade deadline. Uh, watch out for the New York Rangers now that they have Tarashenko and Patrick Kane. So much going on. The Masters are almost here. Crazy to think about. We've got NASCAR. We've got Collegiate Wrestling National Championships. We've got a little bit of everything. March and April is so much going on in the sports world. We will have it here with you every week. Try to mix it up so we're not doing the same stuff over and over, but we'll uh, we'll have all of it every week here on the Sports Gospel, and we thank you for being with us. And with that, we will see you next time.